So as Tyler mentioned this morning, during the season of Advent, Charlie, Tyler, and I are going to be preaching through the book of Ruth, and the title for the sermon series that we're going to be going through is From Famine to Fullness Through Faithfulness. Today, as Lindsay read, we're going to look at chapter 1, which is primarily focused on the famine portion of the series. We'll certainly see salmon and salmon, famine, (laughs) thinking about food, right? Famine in the traditional sense of lacking the availability of food, as well as a kind of famine of faithfulness. So let's jump right back in and look at the story of Ruth. As we look at verses 1 through 5, we're going to see that there are relatively few words here, but those words say a lot in setting the scene for the book of Ruth. Verse 1 starts out, In the days when the judges ruled. Right away the scene is set during a time when the book of Judges itself says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The Hebrew readers would have immediately connected with this statement. In the same way if I were to say to you during the Great Depression. This would immediately bring to mind images of bleakness, poverty, hardship, etc. The time of judges should bring up similar images of lawlessness, evil, hardship, and other images. The time of the judges was generally not a shining moment in Israel's history and would have been a dangerous time. From there we learn that there was famine in the land. While we have not experienced famine in our land, we can picture the desperation of not knowing if or even when you will have any food to eat. During this situation, a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Now it is helpful to note that Bethlehem means house of bread. There is no bread in the house of bread. From that statement alone, It makes sense that someone would pick up and move in search of food. There's nothing shocking about moving to provide for your family. However, these were Israelites living in the promised land. These Israelites left the promised land to go to Moab. I think we all know the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that story doesn't make as much sense unless you understand that to Israelites... All Samaritans were bad. That parable told by Jesus had a much deeper meaning because when an Israelite was beaten and left for dead, two Israelites, one of them a priest, passed by the Israelite on the other side of the road. But it was a hated Samaritan who actually stopped and helped the Israelites. So please listen to the commands from God in Deuteronomy 23. No Ammonite or Moabite, may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. Later in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that the third generation, the third generation of Egyptians may enter the assembly, but not even to the tenth generation may Moabites enter the assembly of Israel. Already in verse 1, we've established the lawless time of the judges, 
a famine in the land, and Israelites who left the promised land to go to a land of their enemies. Now, in case you missed it, the second half of verse 2 highlights the action of leaving the promised land for a land of the enemies by repeating and expanding slightly on the statement. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Note that Ephrathite is another name for Bethlehemite. So within this verse, it repeats who they are, and it effectively repeats the Moab problem by highlighting their stay there. To illustrate this with a current example, it would be like saying, Albert Leans from the state of Minnesota, which clearly establishes that they're Americans, went to North Korea and they stayed there. As we wrap up these scene-setting verses, we learn that during the time outside of the Promised Land, the three men died and Naomi was now left with her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. In verse 6, we transition from setting the scene to the story. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab, presumably while toiling in those fields, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And in verse 8, it says, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. These are very practical, and there's a very practical and expected nature of this section from verses 8 through 14. After all, both Ruth and Orpah are Moabite women. Naomi is now leaving their native home. Furthermore, Naomi has nothing physical to provide to Orpah and Ruth. Certainly not new husbands, as Naomi argues in verses 12 and 13. I do believe that Naomi cares for Orpah and Ruth, but there is more to Naomi's urging than complete care for the well-being of Orpah and Ruth. Look in verse 13 where Naomi is speaking. In the ESV it says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Listen also in the New American Standard Version. No, my daughters, for it is much more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has come out against me. And one more time in the Christian Standard Bible. No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi is concerned about Orpah and Ruth. But she's also primarily thinking about Naomi, and she's not happy with God in this situation. As I mentioned at the start, the title of this series is From Famine to Fullness Through Faithfulness. At the start, we see the physical famine quite clearly. And here, we see within Naomi the deeper problem of a famine of faithfulness, meaning that Naomi is not being faithful in trusting the Lord. She and her husband left God's promised land when the famine started, And now when things got even worse in Moab, Naomi is bitter towards God. And it gets worse. After Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye in verse 14, and Naomi is left with Ruth, look what Naomi says to Ruth in verse 15. 
See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Naomi, this Jewish woman, who should be trusting in the God who brought his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea, gave them manna in the wilderness, and brought them into the promised land, this woman tells Naomi to go back to foreign gods who are not God. Naomi is being incredibly unfaithful here. Up to this point, one could argue that Naomi was being purely practical. But now she specifically sends Ruth, along with Orpah, back to foreign false gods. Note how Naomi even uses the plural form of gods when speaking about the false Moabite gods. In contrast, now hear what the Moabite woman, Ruth, says to the Jewish woman in reply. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth was not just going with Naomi because she liked Naomi, or didn't know what else to do. Yes, there probably was an affection for Naomi, but Ruth was following Naomi because of Yahweh. Note how she used the singular use when Ruth says, Your God will be my God. Not only does Ruth say this, but she invokes a curse of Yahweh upon herself if she breaks this oath to Naomi. Ruth is following Naomi, and Ruth is also following Yahweh. At this point, Naomi relents when she sees that Ruth is determined to follow her. It says in the text that Naomi says no more. Now, I don't want to definitively read too much into the uh, tone of the text here, but I picture this scene basically as if Naomi is just giving up and saying, fine, come along with me. We see so far from this story, in the last 10 years at least, that Naomi has been through a lot of hardships in her life. It's right that Naomi would be weighed down with these hardships. It is natural and right that she would express grief and sorrow in these circumstances. But before we look at more of Naomi's attitude, I want to step back and define the main characters in the story. In the book of Ruth, we see that the main characters are Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. We're seeing Naomi and Ruth today, and next week Charlie will introduce you to Boaz. But there is another main character in this story, and this is actually the central figure throughout the story, and that is the Lord God, Yahweh. A few verses earlier, we saw Ruth make God central in her decision to follow Naomi. And we've already seen Naomi put God in the center of her complaint. And we will see more of God in Naomi's complaint in a second. So returning to Ruth 1 verse 19. When Naomi and Ruth get to Bethlehem, it says the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women asked, is this Naomi? In verse 20, Naomi answers them. Do not call me Naomi which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Now how do you suppose that Ruth felt while standing there next to Naomi? 
But why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Notice how Naomi said that she went away full. Yes, when she left the promised land, she had a husband and two sons who are now gone. Her statement's not completely false. At the same time, there's definitely overstatement in her lament because obviously she went away in the midst of a famine. She left Israel because she was not completely full and she's not completely empty now either. In this first chapter of Ruth, it sets up the story and it's about famine. Not only a famine in the land with no food to eat, but a type of famine in Naomi's heart. As you listen to Charlie and Tyler over the next few weeks take us from famine to fullness through faithfulness, there are some things I want you to watch out for, to watch for. Watch the characters of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz develop in the story. And through each one of them, watch for the fourth main character in the book, in the book God, to take action. You'll see examples of faithfulness in the characters of the story, but you also see that the true faithfulness that brings the story to fullness is the faithfulness of God. Naomi only sees her immediate situation and it bitterly concludes that the Lord is bringing calamity on her. As the book of Ruth unfolds, I want you to see that the Lord is actively working to bring about his infinite plans on multiple levels. First, at the individual level, in the external circumstances of the characters' lives, essentially what is happening to them. Second, at the individual levels within the hearts of the characters, or what is happening within them. Third is on the national level of Israel. Fourth is on the global level. And fifth is on the cosmic level in heaven. As God is working on each of these levels, watch for the three R's of God's work. You'll see God working to redeem. You'll see God working to restore. And all of this is done to bring renown to God. So redeem, restore, and renown. So let's take a look at the individual level of Naomi first. Her circumstances are very real and very difficult. It's natural for her to grieve in her circumstances. And when we experience hardships, it is good and right for us to grieve in those circumstances as well. But be careful not to fall into the prideful trap that Naomi is ensnared in. While Naomi is rightly acknowledging the Lord's sovereignty, she is clearly not honoring, praising, or glorifying God. Naomi has looked at her circumstances and determined in her own wisdom that God is not doing a good thing for her. This is a huge trap for all of us. To be sure, the Lord has granted each one of us knowledge and wisdom as we are created in God's image. Our knowledge and wisdom is to God's glory and to be used for God's glory. At the same time, we're all in danger of taking these gifts and inflating our own estimation of their reach. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden and the crafty serpent? Remember how the serpent told Eve, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The original sin included the temptation of God-like knowledge. This temptation is still alive and well today in our world. Naomi is finite, and she sees her situation, but only within her immediate circumstances. She cannot see the future, and she cannot see 
how things could possibly be any different. Even if she can imagine ways out of her current situation, it doesn't mean that those things will work out. On the other hand, God knows everything that is going on. God knows what he's going to do. Now, I don't want to steal the thunder from Charlie and Tyler in the coming weeks, but I'll let you know a little secret here. It's going to work out for Naomi. God is going to redeem Naomi and Ruth. God is going to restore them. And it's all going to be done for God's glory and renown. God knows what he is doing in Naomi's life, including every single step along the way. Naomi can't even begin to comprehend it right now, but God is still working in the individual lives of Naomi and Ruth. As we go through the book of Ruth, watch for how God is working in the external circumstances of Naomi and Ruth, and also watch how God works within them as well. Imagine yourself in their shoes and think of how you would expect your heart to change through this story. On the national level, remember that the book of Ruth starts out during the time of the judges, when there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I have another little secret for you. God is going to bring a king to Israel. At the end of the book, not only is Naomi going to be redeemed and restored, but that restoration is going to include a grandson named Obed, who you may remember is the father of Jesse, who is the father of King David. Not only does David become king in Israel, who fixes the problems of the time of the judges, but David is the one who conquers enemies all around Israel. For God's renown, watch in the coming weeks how God is working through Naomi and Ruth to redeem Israel and to restore on a national level. As Thanksgiving is now over, and we begin to look eagerly look forward to Christmas, you may wonder why we're diving into the book of Ruth for Advent. Well, not only is God going to bring a king to Israel, but through the genetic line of that Jewish King David, God is going to bring the perfect King of Kings to the entire world. David saved Israel from earthly enemies, and through David's line, God is going to bring a king who saves the world from the eternal enemy of sin. As governments rise and fall, as, as they conquer and are conquered, all of it will end someday. However, the sin that affects all of mankind, every single one of us, is a rebellion against God. The right and due punishment for sin against an infinite, eternal God is a punishment for sinners that is also infinite and eternal. We were born sinful and we've all sinned. Doing right does not take away our sins. How could it? Doing right doesn't get us extra credit. In those times where we do, do right and good things, those are what is expected of us. At best, doing right is simply not just not sinning. It doesn't give us extra credit. Therefore, the only way for us to escape the condemnation of God that we rightly deserve is that someone else needs to redeem us from our sins. While God is working to redeem Naomi and Ruth in their circumstances, God is working to redeem and restore Israel, and that is also part of God's plan that he's working to redeem and restore the entire world through King Jesus. On a cosmic heavenly level, all of this brings glory and renown to God. 
There's much that could be said here, but I just want to read a passage from Revelation. Listen to this scene in heaven and soak in the glory of God radiating, radiating through the universe and through the heavens. Reading Revelation 4, starting at verse 2. Behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. God is a perfect plan and is constantly at work. The curse on humanity that started in the Garden of Eden with original sin, and thinking in terms of famine, that is where it all started. God is working at all times to redeem and restore creation for his renown. He is working in individuals, both in their circumstances and in their hearts. God is working on nations. God is working in the entire world and the entire universe and in the heavens above. So how does the narrative in the book of Ruth, and how should the knowledge of God working at all levels apply to us today here in Albert Lee, Minnesota? One of the greatest mysteries of God is that through God's providence, he accomplishes his faithfulness through the faithfulness of Christians. In other words, God works out his plan through the lives of his people. This means that your everyday faithfulness to love God and to love your neighbor is how God often chooses to accomplish his plans. Loving God and loving your neighbor are commands. They are commands that lead to our joy by being called to participate in God's work of redemption and restoration for his renown. In her life, Naomi faced a famine, as well as the loss of her husband and sons. These are giant-sized hardships. And in our lives, so many of you have faced and may now be facing giant-sized trials and hardships as well. In addition to that, as we look around at the state of our world, it feels like more famine-level hardships are just over the horizon. We have troubles behind us and troubles ahead. 
And sometimes it feels that troubles are all this world has to offer. Naomi interpreted her situation as God bringing calamity upon her, but in reality, God was bringing blessing to her. Let me say that again. Naomi interpreted her situation as God bringing calamity upon her, but in reality, God was bringing blessing to her. Naomi looked at her situation, determined it was bad, and made a totally wrong pronouncement about God as a result. We know that in the Old Testament times, offspring were indicators of blessing. Naomi was right in pronouncing her current situation as bad. But while saying that God brought calamity on her, she didn't realize that God was bringing her a far greater blessing of descendants who would become both king in Israel and king over the entire universe. Naomi did not exhibit faithfulness in the first chapter of Ruth. So if we expect to go from famine to faithfulness, famine to fullness through faithfulness in the book of Ruth, where is that faithfulness going to come from? In the coming weeks, we'll see faithfulness exhibited in the characters of Ruth and Boaz. But the true faithfulness that we will see is from the fourth main character, God. Despite Naomi's lack of faithfulness, God will remain faithful to her. God will bless her beyond what she can imagine. Sojourners, that is the definition of grace. Despite her complaints and lack of faithfulness, God remains faithful and is working to greatly bless Naomi. Similar to Naomi, God often chooses to work the most in our lives and to bring us the most blessing and growth through times of greatest hardships. When we understand this and when we understand that God is working in us and in the nation and in the world, we can be encouraged to remain faithful to God and to entrust ourselves to him. Believer in Christ, when things are bad, go ahead, lament. Cry out to God for comfort and for relief. Ask God earnestly to bring you out of the situation. But also trust God while he is bringing you through it. Know that God is good and that he has it all under control for the goal of his plan, even if it doesn't look that way to you. Remember that by the word of God, the entire universe was created out of nothing. That means that everything that you see, all of it was made out of nothing by the word of God. So watch for complaints in your hearts like Naomi's and like the Israelites. And also watch out because we know how to make our complaints sound righteous at times. But God knows our hearts. Again, cry out to God for comfort and for relief when hardships come. Also know that the hardships are part of the process that God often uses to grow and refine and bless you. What looks like calamity could actually be the manifestation of God's grace and blessing. Turn to Romans 5, please. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, 
and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God, through Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, is working to redeem and restore humanity through the elect believers in Christ. God is redeeming and restoring a people for his glory and renown. But think about what else, what else is going on. God is blessing us by being a part of this work of redemption and restoration. As we move forward in the book of Ruth, you're going to see examples of everyday faithfulness. Watch for those examples and let them encourage you in your daily walk. As believers, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be faithful in our daily lives. Therefore, hear this message today as encouragement to stay the course during good times and bad. Our temptation is to become discouraged like Naomi and to believe that God is bringing calamity upon us when in reality these hardships are God's grace and mercy working endurance, character, and hope within us. At the beginning of the book, we saw Naomi leave the promised land with her husband and two sons. Now at the end of the first chapter in verse 22, we see Naomi return to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law Ruth. At the start of the book, The timing of the scene was very important. It was during the dangerous, lawless, dark time of the judges. Now at the end we see another important timing factor. It is at the beginning of the barley harvest. In those days, barley was used to make bread. We started with a famine, and now Naomi and Ruth return to the house of bread at the beginning of the barley harvest. We end today wondering... If in the midst of Naomi's complaints, will God's grace and faithfulness extend to her and Ruth? You'll have to wait until next week to find out if God will be faithful to Naomi and Ruth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, Lord, to us sinners. At the right time, Lord, you sent your son Jesus to redeem us from our sins, Lord, that if we put our trust in you, we can have eternal life, Lord. And not only redeeming us from sin, but restoring us, Lord, restoring us to life and to glory, Lord, for your renown and for your glory, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. And so I pray during this time of Advent and and all throughout the year, Lord, that you would open our hearts to your work, Lord. You are working every day, in infinite ways, Lord, ways that we can't even see, can't even imagine, Lord. Help us to entrust ourselves to you, Lord, in good times and in bad, Lord. Help us to entrust that you are working in us, Lord, and help us to remain faithful, Lord, to you through all these things. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.